0: Turning your Bibles now to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, the husband's biblical responsibility to his wife. And the, the whole unit for this, for, for the husband at least, is chapter 5, verse 25 to 33. We're only going to do verses 25 to 27 today. Now Many people have been drawn to this text because the topic of marriage and the discussion of how husbands and wives are to relate to one another, for, for one reason or another, become relevant to their immediate circumstances. I'll be flying out to Indiana in two weeks officiating at Davis Alex's wedding, and that was going to be, uh, the plan was that was going to be the first time I would be teaching from Ephesians 5. Well, here we are now. And we are not here because of a sermon series on marriage or because someone in the church is getting married. We are here because we are we have committed ourselves to a verse-by-verse exposition of Paul's epistle to the Ephesian church and where we are in the letter helps set the precedent for this discussion on gender roles and responsibilities within the context of the marriage relationship now where are we in the letter what is this context that I'm talking about we are in the second half of the letter where Paul after having expounded the great and the glorious salvation that every single one of you has, if you are indeed in Christ. After after explaining how great the salvation is, that he told us all, therefore, walk worthy of that salvation. Walk worthy, therefore, of the calling with which you have been called. And ever since he charged us with that in four, chapter 4, verse 1, he's been explaining and elaborating what that worthy walk looks like. He detailed and explained what the worthy walk looks like with respect to the corporate church body. He has explained what it looks like with respect to the individual gifts that we've been given and the uniquely crafted circumstances that have been given to each one of us. He's explained what it looks like with respect to our worldview and with respect to sin and with respect to our interpersonal relationships and unity and the vices that may still abide in the church that serves to undermine and break that unity. He's explained what the worthy walk looks like with respect to dark deeds and those who do them. He's explained what the worthy walk looks like with respect towards God. Namely, that the worthy walk desires to learn and to do what pleases the Lord. And as a way of life, the worthy walk seeks to be spirit-filled. Now here, we've we we, we we've landed in this discussion on marriage. And I just want you to understand that Paul has changed topics. It's not as if he's been uh, in this discussion uh of what a, the worthy walk is and what it means to be spirit-filled and then he goes oh you know what by the way side note uh, there's a couple things about marriage and about husbands and wives that i think would be important to talk to and then we'll get back to all the other stuff no this discussion on marriage is part and parcel with work with walking worthy of the gospel what the lord says through his apostle is what it looks like for husbands and wives to walk worthy and to be spirit filled. That is to be led by the spirit, used by the spirit and to bear the fruit of his work. So if if you are married or if you plan to get married, you can't afford to coast through through this passage while saying to yourself, well, I'll come back to Ephesians five when it's more pertinent. Maybe after I try marriage my way, and if it doesn't work out, then maybe I'll see what God suggests I do as a husband or as a wife. I just I don't want anyone here to see this text merely as an, a, a neat ana, a scriptural anecdote for a wedding homily or for a remedy for a struggling marriage. We must all see this passage as how a married husband and wife respond to the gospel within the context of their marital relationship now wives walk worthy of the gospel wives are spirit-filled as they humbly and faithfully submit to the leadership of their own respective husbands husbands for their part walk worthy of the gospel and are spirit-filled as they do this, as they love their wives. That is their biblical responsibility, to love their wives. Husbands, as, as the head of your wife, as the God-appointed leader of your family, of, of your spouse, of your marriage as the God-appointed leader of your fellow heir in the grace of life, your responsibility, your divinely appointed charge, that which is biblically expected of you, that which God will hold you accountable for, is that you love your wife. Love your wife. Wife, That is the call of God on your life, to love the woman that he has given you or that he will give you in the case of these three strapping young boys over here someday, someday. A husband's godliness begins with and is intricately wound up with how he loves his wife. Now, love is one of the most abused words in the Bible. Love can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And to help us think biblically and rightly on what the Lord would have us think about this, we we are given four aspects of what a husband's love for his wife is supposed to look like in, in this passage. In verse 25, we will see that a husband's love for his wife is to be a sacrificing love a sacrificing love. In verses 26 to 27 it's a it is to be a sanctifying love. And then verses 28 to 30, a self-styled love. And then in the last several verses, a separating love when the, the last two we'll get to next week. But let's read the whole uh, just so that we see the, the whole picture. verse 25, husbands, Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to a church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you, also is to love his own wife even as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband now we'll see first that a husband's love for his wife is to be sacrificial it is to be a sacrificing love paul says verse 25 he opens up husband's love your wife And just the word that he uses, agape, tells us something of the sacrificial nature of love. Love is, uh, we've said before, it's an unconditional love. Agape describes uh, a benevolent, positive attitude that, that you have for someone. And it's not because they've done anything for you. It's not because they've done anything to warrant it or deserve it or, or merit it. A newborn baby has done absolutely nothing other than existing for nine long months. Nevertheless, the mother, uh, its mother loves it, is tender towards it, nurtures it, cherishes it, protects it, does everything to take care of it. That mother loves its newborn, her n- newborn baby. Husbands, love your wives, irrespective of. Anything that they may or may not do. What they do, what they don't do. Completely irrelevant. You love your wives. We said this to the wives, that their responsibility to respect and submit to their husbands was not contingent on their husbands' inherent worthiness of being respected or followed. And we admitted, we granted, there are some husbands that just frankly don't deserve to be respected if you're just looking at them and nothing else In the same way husbands you are to love your wives regardless of her inherent worthiness of being loved Her being loved is not dependent contingent or determined upon her own relative level of loveliness The way she makes you feel doesn't justify being unloved, being neglected, or you being a flat out jerk. If she disrespects you, and I, and I feel I have to say this because if she is, uh, if she is. Uh, charming and she's wonderful and she's loving you then it, it's, it's it's almost natural for a husband to reciprocate that love back And so we have to kind of point out the cases where that reciprocal motivation may be lacking If she disrespects you you love her back If she Doesn't listen to you You love her back If she is a nag ...or a shrew, if she's wronged you in the past, if she's wronging you right now, you love her back. If she's disrespected you, if she hasn't followed your leadership, even if she's an unbeliever... ...and in the same way that there are some husbands who are disobedient to the word in 1 Peter three one, ...if she is a woman, a wife, who is dis- disobedient to the word... What are you expected to do, men? Love her back. Because your love for her is not contingent. It doesn't hang upon whether or not she does this or does that. You love her back. The Lord Jesus bids you to love that woman. That's the biblical expectation of husbands. Christ Jesus calls you, husbands, to love your wives, even if they are completely and horridly unlovable. And you know why Paul can can say that? Because that was our condition when Christ Jesus set his love upon us. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Notice the past tense. Loved. Loved. When did Christ in the past love the church? When did he give himself for the church? When did he serve her, lead her, instruct her? When did he provide for her? When did she heal her constituents? When did he show compassion on his people? When did he talk with them and show his love to people? When they were yet sinners. When they were as yet sinners quite unlovely when they did nothing for him when there was nothing they could offer him that would garner his his interest or or purchase his affection he gave himself for the sake of his people for the sake of his of the his church on the on this condition namely that he determined to give himself for his people completely irrespective of what they brought to the table The love of Christ for his church, for me and for you and for all his saints, began with Christ. It began with him, not with us. The love of Christ for his church began with him, not her. And it's a tragedy when Mary... When married couples only love each other as long as they perceive that the other person is doing their part. And it's so easy and it's so common for one side to grow slack or to perceive that they've been wronged. And in turn, they grow cold in their affection. They have a cold shoulder. And so then they begin to mistreat or or, or, or have a deficit in their love and then the other now perceives that something's wrong and they develop a cold shoulder and so now you have two people with cold shoulders who are neglecting to love one another and maybe they even put on a show when they come to church, when they're in the public eye, but behind closed doors they don't love each other. How sad it is when we... Only love our spouse when we feel that we are being loved first. How much better it would be if each spouse simply did their biblical responsibility regardless of what the other was doing. If each did their part. If the wife humbly, faithfully, respectfully submits to her husband's leadership whether he's a a man of God or a louse. If the husband were to love his wife, if she is a lovely woman or otherwise, how much less tension and conflict there would be within marriage, how much more quickly conflict would be resolved. And marriage would be great for everybody. Now, there is something here for the ladies Ladies, don't leave here and scold your husbands for not being what he is biblically supposed to be. Just as la- the last two weeks were written to you, this week and next week is written to him. This is his mail. Don't read his mail. You focus on your responsibility. You let the Spirit of God work on him as this text undoubtedly is going to slap him in the face because it slapped, it slapped me in the face this week as I prepared for this understand he is being compared in his love and affection for you in his dedication and commitment to you he is being compared to none other than none other than the lord jesus christ some might say that's not a fair comparison but by the inspiration of the spirit this is the comparison that is given the standard of that the husband is supposed to try to measure up to. So ladies, support him in any way that you can as he works on his part and you work on your part. Now, talking about Christ's love for the church, there's a number of things that Christ did and still does for his church that expresses love. In the Gospels, you see the Lord Jesus giving his time, his energy. He w- You see him being Practically provisional and meeting practical needs for his people, for his disciples. He showed mercy and pity by healing. He comforted the afflicted. He taught truth. He was patient with his disciples. He was patient with Simon Peter and the rest of those knucklehead twelve. He... Invested himself to them. He trained them. He encouraged them. He mourned with them. John 11, in John uh, uh, 11, Jesus wept, seeing the devastation that death co- caused to a family whom he personally loved. He, he, more, he, he was empathetic with his people. He mourned with them. He rejoiced with them. He sung with them. He ate with them. He lived with them for three years. There are many ways in which he loved his own, and there are many ways in which he continues to love his own. So you think of his patience, you think of his grace, you think of his mercy, you think of his dedication and his commitment to you, you think of his of the way he is intentional and he has prioritized his people, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. There's so many ways Christ loves and loved the church that we could draw upon and paul knows that but he didn't bring up any of those things that i just mentioned he makes a beeline for the ultimate expression of love he says husbands love your wife as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her Jesus said in John 15:13, "No greater love has anyone than this, that he that one lay down his life for his friends." And it's one thing. It's it's admirable and and worthy of applause for someone to give to someone else of their time and their energy, to, to, to be benevolent, to, to loan someone your car, to, to give them lodging into your home and to show them hospitality, to counsel them through grief, to help them reconcile and resolve their problems. Those, all, those, all those things are great. It is something else altogether to die for someone. To lay your, your life down so that they may continue to live, and these are the these are the moments these are the moments that just impact us and they grip us. These are the highlights of of the novels and the books and the movies when when, when, when a hero makes a heroic last stand, and he fights off the bad guys so that his compatriots, so that his companions, so that those whom he loves may escape with their lives. If you're a nerd and you read "Lord of the Rings," or a common decent person and saw the movie, perhaps you were gripped with emotion when Gandalf the Grey, who is a Christ figure, by the way. When Gandalf held off the Balrog and struck the stone bridge, at the co- so that he could take the Balrog out at the expense of his life, I know that that's a it's a it's a piece of fiction, but it's an image. It's it's gripping. It's powerful. The most incredible gesture of love, in manner or intensity is that one, lay down his life for others. Just as a side note, I know this is a completely different topic, but this is why I think it's important that we show our support for those who wear the badge and lay down their lives regularly for the sake of public safety. Different subject, I just wanted to say that. There is no greater love than that one lay down his life for others. And this is precisely what Christ Jesus did for, for you and for me. Romans 5, 6 says this, While we were still helpless, meaning there was nothing we could do to help ourselves, completely, irrevocably helpless, No, nothing in our hands, no solutions in sight, when we were in that situation situation Christ died for the ungodly Christ died for you when you were ungodly think about this He died for you when you were repugnant to his divine senses He died for you he showed love for you when you were not lovely you were not innocent, you were not, and I'm throwing myself in here, we were not innocent, we were not deep down inside good people. And it showed by the things that came out of our mouths. It showed by the, by the thoughts we had and the lusts we entertained and the things we coveted and the hate that we had for one another and the bitterness that we seethed in as we resented whatever lot had been entrusted to us. Do you ever wonder that if, if what happened to Job happened to you, do you ever wonder how long you would have lasted until you started complaining, until you had become bitter? Some of us complain when they run out of the ice cream at McDonald's. Some of us complain for, frankly, trite things. We are bitter for very foolish reasons. Christ loved you supremely so when you were not a lovely person. And in that state, he loved you and demonstrated this this unconditional agape love so supremely by going to the cross that had your name on it. And by taking the place of divine judgment that was meant for you and for me. And he gave himself so that he might suffer death for people like us. Not because we had anything to bring to the table, because we didn't. We didn't. Romans 5, 6, We were helpless. Helpless. He saw no value in us. He couldn't because we didn't have any. Isaiah Isaiah says that Even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. We were helpless. No value. No potential. It wasn't because of any promise that we could make. It wasn't because of any contribution that we might uh, uh, make to sway his attentions toward us and gain his allegiance. So here's where the comparison hits you in the face, husbands, husbands when you are tempted to be miffed at your wives when she displeases you even disrespects you when in in when in any capacity or measure she falls short of what you would like her to be when you're tempted to become angry and bitter at her and You are tempted to treat her in anything less than a committed, determined love for her. Remember that when you were despicably and unlovely, uh, horribly unlovely, Christ loved you and he gave himself for you. Let that be your motivation to do what is right and to be like your Lord. when you were far worse than what you are tempted to think your wife might be towards you, when you were far worse, Christ loved you and he gave himself for you to the uttermost. The cross wasn't a prick on the finger. The cross for the Lord wasn't stubbing his toe. It was hours of agonizing pain as he was beaten and whipped and scorned and then nailed to a ragged plank of wood where he slowly suffocated all while experiencing, and honestly, theologically, all that child's play compared to the righteous wrath being poured out on him for all the sins of his people in all time. Remember that the anticipation for that hour ca- caused him such Emotional strain that his capillaries burst and he sweat blood. It was, here, here's the thing it wasn't a small thing for him to go to the cross for you, husbands, but he did. He did. He nonetheless did as the ultimate means of loving you who were not. Prior to his love, a lovely person. And so in that manner, as Paul says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her husbands, so love your wives. In that manner, love your wives. With an attitude and a perspective like that as your motivation, love your wives. Love your wives with a sacrificial love. Love her with a love that is determined to be spent on her for her benefit, for, <coughs> for her gain, for her advantage, regardless of the return. Demonstrate through your affection and passion for her and through a pattern of selflessness that she is more important to you than you are to you. Love her so selflessly and so thoroughly and so utterly that it might be said of you, there's a man who prioritizes his wife. There's a man who puts his wife first before himself. And I bet there's a man who, given the opportunity, if the need arose, there's a man who would lay down his wife for her, life for her. Ooh, you know what I meant. Love your wife with a sacrificial love. Secondly, biblical responsibility of the husband towards his wife is that he would love her with a sanctifying love. A sanctifying love. Now, in our discussion, when we were in I say discussion as, as, as if you are talking back to me, but it's a monologue. In our discussion on love in chapter four, we we said that love love leaves others in a better state than before they crossed your path. Love, agape love, inherently it naturally gives. It's a giving thing. It's a contributing. Thing. it's a serving thing love gives love makes some kind of improvement in another person's life love serves John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he did what what manner of action did God's love cause him to do he gave love gives Christ died for his church, he gave himself for his church that she might become redeemed and saved. Christ gave himself out of love for his people so that they who were dead in sin might live anew in holiness and be blameless and live dignified lives and things while exercising dignified gifts that all bring glory to God. Christ gave himself to sanctify his people. Look, look what Paul says in verse 26. He gave himself up for her, verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory. Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Christ gave Himself in love, so that a people who were filthy might become clean. And I, I just—I didn't plan to say this, but I, I just—I love the image. It says that He cleansed her by the washing of water with the word you could just picture a, a man gently uh, tenderly, affectionately, tending to the perhaps the wounds or the the dirtiness of one whom he cares for. shows a personal touch. he gave himself so that a people who were filthy might become clean that a people who were completely unpresentable completely reprehensible for a before a holy God who doesn't who can't wink at sin so that they who were unpresentable might become presentable so that they were who were unclean might become glorious Christ gave himself so that you And I, who were so full of spots and blemishes and sins, might become spotless, might become holy, might become blameless. Now, husbands, what does this say to you in your purpose in marriage? What does this say to you about your purpose in marriage? And just just so that we're on the same page... I understand, and I hope you do as well. You can't make your wife holy. No husband can, can justify his wife. No husband can atone for her sin. But this is true. You do have a hand. You do have an influence in the way she lives. Are you hindering her purity, or are you promoting it? Do you undermine her growth in holiness? Or, or do you contribute to it being built up? And do you, do you foster growth? Do you encourage growth in godliness? When Christ saved you and when he justified you, he didn't just resort back to his office and lounge for eternity. He still to this day works towards your sanctification. Romans 8.27 and thirty-four, as well as Hebrews seven twenty-five, speak of Christ interceding daily for his people, even now, even today. Not so that you can be re-justified, but so that you might be sanctified, so that you might grow in holiness, so that you might win in your fight against sin, so that you might think more like him. More, so that you might think more godly. So that you might know something more of the power and the grace and the mercy of God that you didn't previously know. He intercedes for you daily. He continues, according to Colossians 3.3, 3, he continues to be your life. He is your source of life. John fifteen four to 6 he is the means by which you and I have growth and we bear fruit. And we have help. He sanctifies you to this day. And he will continue doing so. He will be faithful to complete what he began in you. He is not some, this is the point, Christ Jesus is not some passive participant in our Christian walk. He is not a passive participant. He is very much an active participant. He is deeply invested in purifying and in conforming us to his likeness so that we might speak the way he speaks. We might think the way he thinks so that we would have his value so that we would live as he would live were he in our shoes. That's Christ's purpose in his people. And that's what he does in his relationship with them. And here Paul is saying, husbands, look at how Christ Jesus loves his church. Look at how deeply interested and how deeply and grossly invested he is in her. So you, o oh, oh married men, o oh husbands, you likewise love your wives and be interested and be invested in them. As your Lord is in you. Christ Jesus. Is your example. He is your model. Do as he does. Do as he did. So what I, ho- I hope we can all walk away with here. Is the understanding of how. How, how much it falls short. To think. For a husband to think That. His responsibility and his job as a husband, as a man of the house, his job is limited and confined to that of being the breadwinner and a financial provider. A man who goes to work faithfully, diligently, who's committed and has a great worth ethic, and then comes home and props his feet up on on the couch and watches TV until he goes to bed, is utterly falling short. Being the breadwinner, being a financial provider is good and important. But by comparison, by comparison, your wife's purity, men, and whether or not she is thriving or floundering when it comes to spiritual matters, makes all those other even good things trite. by comparison Now let me ask you what are you actively doing to invest in your wife What are you doing to show her and to exercise upon her a sanctifying love are you actively investing in her and, 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 and showering her with this sanctifying love? Are you, are you reading scripture with her? Are you praying with her? Are you meditating upon the scriptures with her? And for that matter, even by yourself, are you, are you a man of the book for your own sake? Are you a man of prayer for your own sake? And I ask you that because... A woman, your, your wife, is going to have a lot harder time being motivated to do these things if she looks at her husband and he's not doing anything. She'll be a lot more encouraged and motivated to, to do so if she sees her husband leading by example. Now, there's a book that I read about three years ago called Spiritual Disciplines by, by Don Whitney. That book is worth its weight in gold. And just to show you how much I'm committed to this, if any man who comes to me and is willing to read that book, I will purchase it for him. He covers, a, he covers I think, nine or ten spiritual disciplines. Prayer, reading scripture, meditating, fasting, using your gifts. It is an excellent book. So if you, if you would uh, commit to reading that book, I will buy it for you. Come and see me. I make that offer as a, as a means of helping the men in this church lead by example for the sake of their families. What kind of spiritual environment have you established in your home? What is the, the spiritual what, what does the spiritual barometer say or the spiritual weather vane say in your home? Have you made it a heavenly outpost or is it a hub of worldly, influence does the way that your house is managed and organized if it's organized does it promote holiness or sin does it promote spiritual zeal or lethargy does it foster faithfulness or does it yield idolatry what manner of entertainment are you bringing into the home What do you watch if 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 we were to see your Hulu watch list or your Amazon Prime or your Netflix or your whatever? What would we find out that you've been watching? What have you been exposing yourself and your family to? What manner of conversation? What nature of discussion do you foster in the home? Are there things being said and heard in the home that sanctify your wife's mind? Or do those things violate her conscience? Do you actively do things? Do you speak to her in such a way? Or do you make requests or even demands upon her that violate her conscience? One more. And and men, I want to step on your toes, because this passage stepped on my toes. Do you lead by example when it comes to confessing your sins and asking for forgiveness when you've wronged your wife or your children? I'm the man of the house. I don't do that. You ought to. Do you model repentance? Because one way or the other, you're teaching your wife and you're teaching your children something. You're teaching them whatever you model. You're teaching them whatever you example. And you're either teaching them by example to be proud and arrogant and and to think that sin really isn't that big of a deal. And they'll think, well, if dad did it and it's not that big of a deal, then it's not that big of a deal if I do it. It's not a coincidence that after David sinned in Second Samuel chapter 12 that you see horrible, 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 despicable sin in the parts of his children, his two sons, in the preceding uh, uh, following chapters. Your sin influences your children. Likewise, your piety influences. Influences your children and your wife. Are you teaching by example to be proud and arrogant and that sin isn't really a big deal or are you teaching by example to be humble and gentle and that love covers a multitude of sins and that grace reigns in the Christian home? What are you teaching? You're teaching one or the other. What, which one is it? pastor said, your wife's spiritual growth should be a defining priority in the way that you order your life and in the, in the way that you interact with her and most certainly in the way that you pray for her. Men, love your wives with a sanctifying love. We'll cover the next two next week let's pray Lord as we are transitioning into communion this is uh, certainly a time for the men in this church to see to, to feel guilt and perhaps shame for how much they neglect to fulfill their biblical responsibilities so as we approach the table convict them in their hearts that grace abounds and that love covers a multitude of sins and that today is the day to begin walking in the pattern that you set and to love their wives just as you loved your church. Amen. So we now turn our, our hearts and our minds to the Lord's table this is a time as i just said where we are we are mindful that we are not here because of our ethnic tradition or our cultural tradition we are not here i mean some of us may practically be here because mom and dad brought us here but as christians we are not christians because mom and dad were christians we do not have faith because those who came before us had faith and we're just merely stepping in their cultural or hereditary footsteps We are here because we have responded to the grace and to the truth of God that a savior has been raised up for sinners and that all who look to him in in faith all who repent of their sins confess with their mouths that their sins are horrid and they're wrong and that they need to be forgiven and subsequently look to that provision of a savior for that forgiveness that is what makes one a christian not any ethnic or cultural or hereditary traditions we are here because we have been revealed to the truth that a god a wonderful gracious god has saved us and he calls us to assemble. He calls us to to sit under the word and he calls us to come to this table. So that's what we're doing. We come to this table. We look back with affection, with supreme affection, appreciation and worship for Christ Jesus loving us so supremely when we were yet sinners and helpless. We look back in Worship for that. And we look forward with great anticipation when he will return, when he will collect his own, and we will forever be with him. While the elements are being passed, consider that Scripture gives a warning, a stern warning for those who are not right, for those who would treat these elements as trite, For those who would who would misuse and misthink about the body of Christ that was given up for sin. If your heart is not right in that matter, and if you need to be reconciled either to Christ for the first time, or you need to be reconciled to other another believer, consider letting the elements pass. And if you are a Christian and your heart is right, then... Use this occasion, worship your Lord. Show him your gratitude. Show him your thanks. He, he loved you so much, and he loves you still to this day so much. Again, it, it's it's. I mean, the sun's kind of coming out right now. It's still kind of gloomy, but Sunday service is always the best day. It is always the brightest, and it is it is always the most cheerfulest day of the seven. So now we now invite. Ben, to come up and almost said the men, the Ben, to, no, multiple, okay, that works. Uh, the men will distribute the elements, consider, consider the love of Christ towards you. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 that the night in which the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. existed in eternity past and have witnessed infinite glories, you who experienced infinite endless pleasure and joy in the presence of the Father and the Spirit, to think that you would set all of your divine prerogatives, that you would set aside all of your all the things that were rightfully entitled to you that you would set those aside rather than coming down and demanding the worship from your creation which you so rightly deserve to think that you came instead not to be served but to serve and to give your life as an exchange in the most incredible gesture of humility and selflessness and loving care and concern for your people. This this Lord's day we thank you and we love you and we praise you for your supreme love for us. Help the men in this church in this sanctuary right now who perhaps feel the weight of their failures. May their wives support them in love and be gracious to them and and help these men to stand up and to love their wives as you love your people. Amen.